Today on State Scoop's Priorities Podcast from Scoop News Group. Smaller state, faster decision making. Wyoming's a fascinating place. Even though from a population standpoint, it's relatively small. It's, it's got, I believe it's the eighth largest state by geography. Because of its size, I think it's a little bit more agile in the way it makes decisions. The way hackers are accessing systems is simpler and scarier than you might think. But the truth is, hackers aren't hacking anymore. They're logging in. If we look at the data, credential stuffing attacks are one of the most common causes of data breaches. Welcome to State Scoop's Priorities Podcast, brought to you today by Auth0. Every Thursday, you'll get insights into the state and local government technology community. You'll hear from top leaders across the state and local government world, as well as the latest news and trends ahead for the industry. I'm your host, Jake Williams. Here's what's happening this week. Former California CIO Amy Tong is on the move again. Governor Gavin Newsom named Tong to his cabinet this week to lead the state's operations agency. The agency, called CA GovOps, oversees the state's IT department, HR functions, pensions, and tax collections. Tong comes to the post after just a month leading the state's two-year-old Office of Digital Innovation. The Washington State Department of Licensing's business license management system is offline after the discovery of a data exposure. The exposure potentially affects more than a quarter million records, including social security numbers, dates of birth, driver's license numbers, and other personally identifying information. Officials say the system will be brought back online as soon as possible. Maryland's one-stop digital services portal is not yet fully mature, but has seen dramatic progress, the state CIO Michael Leahy told State Scoop's Colin Wood. Colin is here with us now. Colin, welcome. What's what's happening with Maryland One Stop right now? Hi, Jake. So Yes, I talked to Michael Leahy, and he was pretty excited about the adoption rates he's seeing among agencies in his state. Uh, that article on State Scoop, if people look it up, links to a document that includes a bunch of top line numbers indicating that there have been 1.4 million submissions by users on the platform since July 2019, for example. And the the thing the things that I found interesting about that story are that. Uh, he said the toughest part is going to be developing the identity piece that allows people to just have a single login for all of their services, no matter what they are for, for government. And he said that will depend largely on the private sector. So it's going to be some years off while they wait for that to be developed. And the other really interesting thing was that He said they're shooting for a distributed model for data storage where everyone's personal data is stored on their devices rather than on state servers, which would have obvious security benefits. So one of the interesting things about this story uh, is is the example of government custom building something in an era where, where people and other CIOs across the country really seem to be favoring sort of these commercial solutions that are ready to, to deploy right away. Why, why is this working in Maryland? Right. Well, in this case, it does seem to be working out. Leahy said that uh, having this platform in-house that they built allowed them to move a lot quicker on their COVID response and a few other projects that he mentioned. Um, he said that, you know, they, they kind of looked at the numbers and they were thinking seven figures in three to four months for a uh, quote unquote off the shelf product. And uh, he said, nope, we have this platform. And they basically sounds like they got this in one case, got a application up and running in one night and uh, or eight hours or something like that. And they were just processing thousands of applications. And um, uh, that's certainly something that's possible with a vendor, but in this case, they were just already ready with this capability. So it, it is, it does seem to be working in Maryland. 
You, you talked about it earlier, but a big piece here is this sort of concept of decentralized data storage, which Leahy seems really excited about. How, how do you see that going into this service, but also into other services and products across government? Well, by his reckoning, that is a trend that we'll see more of. Um, the you know the the benefit there. I think the main benefit has to do with security. He said that if someone wants to hack Maryland, they're going to have to hack everyone rather than just one central location. A, a detail that was not in the story that he mentioned was that there have been instances where nations have developed uh, you know, a data lake. And while this, this model has its own benefits, it also creates a very uh, attractive target for bad actors. If they only have to hit you know, Fort Knox, then it's just kind of one and done and they get, they get everything. Um, so there's, uh, there's pros and cons to the different models, but I think if, if it becomes a, uh, an available one for them at some point, I think he, he does want to go with the distributed model. Yeah. And, and, you know, Leahy is certainly active in NASIO. He's president of NASIO this year. I mean, what does, what does this example of what's happening in, in Maryland mean for CIOs across the country? Right. Well, this is the kind of thing that may seem somewhat minor to someone who's less familiar with state IT, but to a state CIO, this this is the holy grail. A single website and a single user identity for all government services is highly desirable, and it's a goal that many CIOs have been actively working toward for many years. I actually remember hearing many of these same kinds of conversations uh, a decade ago, and people are still just as excited about the idea. Uh, we ran a story a while back about the Domino's pizza tracker and how CIOs love that because of what a good user experience it evidently provides. I don't know personally because I, don't, I would never eat Domino's, but you hear similar comments from CIOs about how they uh, want to copy the likes of Amazon or Netflix or any other modern private company that uses a compelling, slick experience for their users. And usually this desire is prefaced by something like, this is the kind of experience that people expect now. Government IT leaders have realized for years that it's not great for all these super convenient services to exist in the private sector, and then for their web presence to resemble a GeoCities website. Statescoop's managing editor, Colin Wood, you can read his piece on the progress of Maryland's one-stop digital services portal at statescoop.com. You can also find links in today's show notes. Bill Vida is back in state government. After a stint as the Federal Department of Interior CIO and as the CIO of Alaska, Vida takes the reins as the CIO of Wyoming. He replaces former CIO Gordon Knopp in the role. Knopp resigned last year after a major health data leak. Statescoop's Benjamin Freed asked Vida what drew him to the job in Wyoming. Wyoming's a fascinating place. Uh, even though from a population standpoint, it's relatively small, it's, it's got, I believe it's the eighth largest state by geography in the United States. And so you could imagine... It's got a, a plethora of interesting natural wonders uh, to enjoy while you recreate. It's got a lot of diverse industries, uh, much like uh, the time I spent in Alaska, uh, that support the economy. And it's got, because of its size, I think it's a little bit more agile in the way it makes decisions. And so uh, it, it likes to be uh, out front in the lead on issues. Uh, it likes to be innovative. And um, those are kind of things over the course of my career that have always attracted me uh, to opportunities, places where 
uh, people want to make make a difference, and they and they're looking for uh, new people, fresh ideas to come in and help out. So, what are uh, some of those? So, some of those issues, some of those uh, technologies that that uh, Wyoming that that you said that Wyoming has been counted for wants to be uh, on the leading edge of. Well, a lot of them. Uh, I'll, I'll uh, let me clarify: <laughs> leading edge and bleeding edge. Yeah. You know, there's there's a difference between the two, but. Uh, the state has been uh, interested in implementing technology for greater efficiency uh, and to try to accomplish a better value through economies of scale, better service delivery. And so they look at, for example, modernizing their DMV systems, their Department of Motor Vehicle Systems. They're looking at potentially expanding the type of uh, payments that they can receive as part of their revenue systems. Uh, they're interested in, in putting in place resource planning uh, capabilities that break down silos and better link all the various different agencies and departments together. And it's all with a goal of providing uh, more economical, more efficient, and better quality service to all of the constituents in Wyoming. Mm -hmm. And so uh, so they have a lot of opportunities to do that here. Uh, they're, they're, of course, uh, have been doing that long before I came on board. Um, and I hope to continue to do that. Uh, during my tenure, but uh, I, they have a lot of interesting things that they've got going on now, a lot of interesting relationships with other states through organizations like NACIO yeah. uh, that they're able to uh, to leverage, and so it's just an exciting place to be. Right. Wyoming's previous full-time uh, CIO, uh, Gordon Knapp, he stepped down uh, almost a year ago. Gordon Knapp, he stepped down almost a year ago uh, after there was a, uh, you know, a, a, a discovery of a, of a pretty big data leak involving some, some health information, uh, I think he, he stepped down along, along with the, the state health director at the time. Uh, was that something that came up when you were talking to uh, Governor Gordon about taking this position? And, and is, uh, you know, and I guess, you know, is, is, are there any other uh, issues that, that he wanted you to really address uh, in, in this when, when you uh, came in? Well, I, I can't speak to any of that <laughs> mm -hmm. because I honestly don't know uh, what happened a year ago. Uh, but I can tell you that uh, uh, Wyoming absolutely takes cybersecurity seriously and uh, not only maintaining but improving the state's cybersecurity posture is something that's one of my top priorities, if, if not my most immediate top priority. Uh, I don't know if you've seen or not, but I'm actually advertising for a chief information security officer right now. And so I'm, I'm looking for somebody to come in and help me uh, drive that effort within the government. So it's something that um, uh, I personally take very seriously. I, I think you've had me on the record before saying exactly that same thing. Yeah. Uh, it's something I know uh, uh, the governor takes seriously and uh, the legislature here in Wyoming takes seriously. So uh, there, there are some big expectations that we're going to be uh, improving our cybersecurity posture uh, moving into the future. And we're taking immediate, immediate steps to make sure we've got the right people and the right resources in place to do that. Mm -hmm. So as, as you're uh, uh, getting going, uh, I know you said you have about uh, 48 different state agencies you're going to be working with. Uh, how, how are those meetings coming along? Have you had a chance to, to meet all of your 
uh, counterparts uh, that you'll be that you'll be working working with? Uh, well, thank you for asking. It's coming along pretty well. Uh, you're actually speaking to me uh, about at the end of day 13. Mm -hmm. So, so even with simple math, you could imagine if I were able to pull off two or three of those a day, I'd still be working on it. But, uh, but no, there we're trying to take it on aggressively. Of course, I've met a lot of people already, and uh, moving out smart, smartly to make sure we're we're uh, all in sync, that we're one team. What 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 uh, drew you back uh, to state government? Well, uh, I mean, I, I think you 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 know you know me now well enough, but. Um, you know, I've had a, I've had time at kind of every echelon of government, and uh, I've worked internationally in NATO. I've worked at the federal level. You know, I've worked in state government before. I've worked in local government before, and uh, uh, I think for me, the satisfying part about state government and local government is the proximity to your constituents. Mm -hmm. And so uh, when you're in Washington, uh, working for government can sometimes feel a bit esoteric mm -hmm. because the, the people who are ultimately uh, funding your activities, uh, you rarely get a chance to interact with them and get any kind of feedback about how well they think you're doing. Mm -hmm. there's, there's the media that's quite willing to, to make the connection for you. But during the course of any, any moment, uh, you might not ever see the people that you're working to serve. And in state and local government, uh, that's less true. And particularly for states like Alaska or Wyoming, where uh, you, ha you have a population of uh, six or 700,000 people for the entire state at, at most, uh, there's a lot more immediacy just to being in, the, being in that place. Uh, the chances are you're going to be interacting with a lot of people um, that you might not interact with already. You're going to be getting a lot of feedback from places that you might not usually get a lot of feedback. But you're able to, to get that interaction and observe for yourself the impact of what it is you're doing. Yeah. And for me, that's the most satisfying part of government, is, uh, and, and even more broadly, public service, is uh, on a personal level, getting the kind of feedback that what you're doing makes a difference or not is, is the most valuable moment I think a public service can have, a public servant can have. So um, for me, that's kind of what draws me uh, to state and local type work. And that's what drew me to Wyoming. Is it, it's a fascinating place. And uh, it's got just the right mix of innovation and opportunity that it was, it was very hard to ignore. There are other state CIOs who have worked, who have led IT in, in multiple states, but um, I thought it was interesting that you know it's Alaska and then Wyoming, two states that are both you know very large in area but very rural. A lot of you know far flung places. A lot of you know beautiful natural resources. Is is there a certain attraction to you know frontier states? Yeah, I mean for me there is. Right, mm -hmm. that might not be true for everybody, yeah. but for me there is. Uh, it's the newness and the freshness of it. Uh, Wyoming, if you look at its history and if you look at its culture, uh, it's got some uh, some tremendous bragging rights that it can claim. You know, it was the first constitution in the world that granted uh, women full voting rights, for example. Yep. Uh, it was the first state that elected a, a woman to be governor, right? Yeah. So, so when you look at you when you look at how it's encoded uh, its culture and its values and um, uh, what it's looking for, though, though, that's 
that's not that long ago, you know, 100, 150 years or so ago. Mm. It's, a, it's a young state. Uh, Alaska was as old as I was, right? So uh, I haven't met I haven't met anybody here yet that gave me the same kind of experience in Alaska. But I recall I was talking to some colleagues in Alaska, and we were talking about the state's constitution. And uh, that per, the person responded and said, well, if you really want to know, my uncle wrote that part. Mm. We can probably go and have coffee with him sometime if you want to know more. Mm. So imagine trying to do that at the federal level. Yeah. <laughs> and let's go have a chat with Thomas Jefferson, right? Uh, you know, it's it's the opportunity. It's it's how connected these states are because they're so new. Their their cultures are still uh, very active and pure, and and their connection with history is still very strong. And that's just very fascinating. That means that not just the kind of things that that CIOs do when you talk about transformation or modernization, right? But, but literally, when you've got a state that that has the agility and the momentum to look at itself and decide what it wants to be and drive that kind of change. That's just a very attractive thing to me. Yeah. And for, for states, you know, maybe, and for states that might have been in existence for hundreds of years or might have even predated the existence of the United States, but have been around for even hundreds of years before that, I think they're, they're disconnected from that. Yeah. More so than maybe the newer states. Yeah. And so there's a there's a lot less room for that kind of uh, of uh, uh, how would I phrase it? There's a there's a lot less there's a lot less room for building that kind of momentum and that kind of introspection. Yeah. And um, and that's just very that's just very attractive to me. Yeah. And so when these uh, these opportunities don't pop off often, but when they do, I'm always very interested. Yeah, I was thinking in particular uh, a few years ago we wrote a story about um, when you were working for Alaska. You you went on a three or four day trip to you know the, I guess the Arctic regions uh, to do yeah. a, kind of a broadband survey. I'm wondering if there's if if we're gonna get a you know if we're gonna get a, you know a dispatch from you in the in the Tetons or or something. No, I'd love to do that. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. I mean, right now you could imagine um, we've got offices kind of all around the state. Yeah. And to make sure that um, we're well connected as a team, I'm getting a chance to kind of go around and have town hall meetings with all our employees in all the different locations. But beyond that, there are a lot of projects that, that spread out very similar to what other states like Alaska are doing now yeah. with the, the land mobile radio systems and the expansion of broadband, uh, the delivery of services to remote areas that might not otherwise you know, have any kind of an organic capability uh, or, or services that can augment capabilities that are already on the ground. Yeah. So there's a tremendous opportunity to do that same thing here. And, you know, you mentioned you know, the, the radios, the uh, broadband, uh, you talked a bit about cybersecurity. Are there, are there any other, you know, uh, specific uh, tech areas that, that you are you know, eager to, to you know, uh, dig your hands into? Yeah, uh, the, the customer-facing systems uh, that we have, and, and they're, um, they're uh, things like uh, through our Department of Motor Vehicles, through our, our Department of Transportation, uh, uh, how is that the number one place, for example, where all of the constituents actually come in and have their, their primary contact with the government, right? So are you, are you going in to get your driver's license? Are you going in to title a car? Are you going in there? And what is the opportunity to, to look at that in a different way? and uh, potentially figure out uh, the other touch points 
that most constituents go through. So we can make we can make that more efficient for them, more efficient for the state, uh, and provide better value with those contacts. Mm-hmm. So so there's um, you know an opportunity in the way we provide services uh, to work together as a team, maybe to to improve on what we have already. That's exciting, and particularly in an area that's so geographically large with such dispersed population, you don't want to have to make uh, a constituent come back six or seven times to get six or seven things done if you don't have to. Mm-hmm. You don't want to. You don't want to have to drive forty miles to go and take care of business seven different times. You'd like to try to get as much of their much of their business done at one time as possible. Yeah. And so, so that's interesting. Uh, there are some opportunities to. Um, uh, expand services where we might not, might, might not have the best coverage. So that's very interesting. You know, the, the same revolution that, that hit the, the federal workforce uh, when uh, teleworking was initiated as part of the, the, the now endemic response, right, uh, uh, provides the same kind of opportunity here in the state. And so uh, do we have structures that might have been geographically oriented in the past that because of the technology available today can be rethought and we can find a better way to, to use them for the benefit of the state. And so there's there's a there's a plethora of those things. Mm-hmm. I do know that, that Governor Gordon has been interested in personally is uh, um, blockchain technology and cryptocurrencies. Have you, uh, you know, uh, are you are you uh, working in you know on, on in the in that space at all? Yes, absolutely. We're looking at it. If you look within uh, Cheyenne, mm-hmm. uh, well, excuse me, within Wyoming, within the state government, there's a blockchain committee yep. of the legislature, and they look at everything having to do with blockchain and cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's largely unregulated space, so a lot of it is. Uh, uh, Research into, research into these kind of capabilities and trying to find the break point at what point would they be something that the state could adopt and use uh, uh, obviously to provide uh, expanded or better services for people. Mm-hmm. And so um, a lot of that, uh, we work with other departments within the state. I know in the case of the cryptocurrency, uh, we're working on uh, 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 trying to figure out the, the um, potential applicability of that with the revenue department here. So uh, we know it's interesting to the legislature. We know it's interesting to the governor. And so we're, we're doing our homework to make sure we understand if we choose to implement something like that, what would be the, the way that would uh, address all of our compliance requirements and our risk management requirements. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that's the challenge of being, that's, that's part of what comes from wanting to be first. And that's part of the challenge of, of having that posture is you're not facing a world where all the answers are well known. And so uh, so there's a lot of that kind of work that we do uh, with various different departments to make sure that we can provide information to the, the elected decision makers that helps them make the best policies and laws they can. Bill Vida, the new CIO for the state of Wyoming, talking to StateScoop's Benjamin Freed. You can read more about Vida and what's happening in Wyoming on StateScoop.com. I'm Jake Williams, the host of the Priorities Podcast from StateScoop. Next week on the show, former New York City CISO Jeff Brown talks with StateScoop's Benjamin Freed. Brown is now the vice president of global intelligence platforms at cyber company Recorded Future. You can subscribe at PrioritiesPodcast.com and wherever you get your podcasts. 
Identity and access management is on the rise in government, continuing its journey to the top of the priority list for state CIOs. Salman Ludda is a product marketing manager at Auth0, now part of Okta, the sponsor of today's podcast. Salman, welcome. So so Sal, let's set the stage here. Where, where are we when it comes to identity and access management in state and local government? How is identity being integrated into the way that digital government decisions are being made? Yeah, I, I think we're moving in the right direction. Um, let's start with some of the positives because I think it goes without saying. Uh, governments around the world, not just in the United States, have made massive, massive strides in their ability to deliver on citizen-facing services. And I mean, pick your statistic, there's a whole bunch of them flying around out there. But we saw digital government initiatives accelerated years, right? And it's great to see at the state and local government level, identity continues to be a priority. If we look at the NACIO 2022 list, Not only has identity and access management jumped in terms of its priorities, but also on the tooling uh, that they're looking to implement, it's gone up in in that regard also. So from that perspective, things are trending positive and we're looking good. On the flip side of that, I still think there's quite a bit of work to be done, particularly when it comes to identity and security. And the reason I call that out is because we recently commissioned a survey here at Auth0 in partnership with a third-party market research firm just to get a pulse on the current state of identity and access management in the public sector. And when we look at our US-specific data, it paints a very, very clear picture. Protecting citizen data, securing digital services, ensuring citizen trust in the applications that they're using, all of these were some of the top priorities that state governments are thinking about when delivering citizen-facing services. However, 19% of government officials that we spoke to are extremely confident in the authentication experience that they're providing from a security perspective. 19%, that is jarringly low, especially when we think about the the information, the data that citizens are trusting their governments with. Additionally, and this is the one that really stood out to me, 89% of state and local governments are currently relying on username and passwords as their current mode is their primary mode of authentication for citizen-facing services, despite their well-documented security risks. So I think we've made a lot of positive strides, but there is still quite a bit of work to be done. What is a more? How does a more modernized approach to identity help make those logins more secure? For a lot of folks, they'll see something with passwords as a secure authentication experience. Uh, but the truth is, hackers aren't hacking anymore. They're logging in. If we look at the data, credential stuffing attacks are one of the most common causes of data breaches. So uh, if we look at the Verizon 2021 data breach uh, investigations report, they found that 80% of uh, breaches online involve the use of stolen credentials from other breaches or password reuse. And that's a big part of the problem, right? 65% of people are reusing their passwords, and I'm sure you can attest to it. Right? They're very tedious, they're mundane, they're difficult to remember. And so it's just this bad habit that people fall into. And this is just one example. If government officials are very serious about securing citizen data, they have to look beyond passwords to authentication methods that maintain the user experience while ensuring data privacy and security. And biometric authentication using WebAuthn is a perfect example of that. And a lot of people may not instinctively know what that is, but we've all likely used it. It's using something like 
face ID or your fingerprint scanner on your phone to authenticate into an application. In general, we're at such an interesting time for state and local governments. I mean, between the pandemic and the digital transformation that it brought, you talked a little bit about that, to the relief funding and now infrastructure funding beginning to flow into some of these agencies. I mean, states have a, have a chance to really make some big investments. How do you see identity and access management sort of fitting into those decisions? Yeah, it's, it's such an exciting time to be working in government, isn't it? Um, I think the $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill is historic, right? To have bipartisan support into the investment of the nation's infrastructure and its competitiveness. It's a very, very exciting time for public sector officials. Um, and though a lot of the money is being directed towards what they're calling shovel-ready projects, so projects around building roads, bridges, as well as effective transportation, we're seeing a large chunk of it, about $2 billion being allocated to the country's cybersecurity posture, about a billion of which is, is making its way to state and local governments. This is a really topical uh, area, given that fraud has been on the rise over the past two years. Uh, if we look at the data, the FTC had reported about a 3,000% lift in fraudulent applications, uh, and data from the Department of Labor estimates that uh, I think it was $36 billion of the $360 billion from the CARES Act, so about 10% uh, was lost to fraud. Those are really, really big numbers, and it's costing governments and their citizens quite a bit. So from a citizen's perspective, what this means is it's actually delaying their ability to get the support that they need in, in really dire circumstances. On the government's end, it's a double whammy because they not only need to now pay out double the amount of funding, but they have to pay higher rates for cybersecurity insurance because the premiums, particularly for state and local governments, are on the rise. So how do we see identity fitting into this picture? Well, the punchline is it's the first line of defense, right? With continued investments into digital government paired with this explosion in mobile devices that we're seeing, we're no longer able to rely on a network perimeter-centric view of security. Right? We need to securely enable access for our citizens, regardless of their location, their devices, or their network. And in order to do this, governments have to adopt a zero-trust framework. And in that framework, identity and access management is the core technology. It's the front line of defense that ensures the right people are getting access to the right services or relief at the right time. Uh, what advice do you have for state and local agencies as they progress on their identity journey and, and what things do they need to be keeping top of mind? Yeah, this is such a great question. I think it's an important question. Um, I would provide three key pieces of advice to state and local agencies as they progress on their identity journeys. The first of which is to really think through the total cost of ownership for your identity system. A homegrown system, it might be cheaper for you in year one and in year two, but when you really stretch out that total cost of ownership and start factoring in the additional costs around talent acquisition, talent retention, uh, tribal knowledge that goes into that technology, the maintenance, right, the constant patches that you're going to need to deploy to keep that technology up to date, the level of interoperability that this homegrown system is going to have with not only your current applications, but your future applications, how it's going to impact your ability to readily deliver value to your citizens or, or your time to market, as well as the scalability. How is this going to support future use cases and manage the changes in demand as your population fluctuates? 
all of these are factors that are going to cost you in the long run. And so my first piece of advice, long-winded piece of advice, is think about the needs of your identity system today, but also tomorrow. The second piece of advice that I would give is really think about how you can build trust with your constituents using an identity system that delivers on both security and convenience, right? We're all consumers here. We're used to the authentication experience of our, our favorite uh, B2C applications like Spotify, Netflix, very seamless. And the reason I call this one out in particular is if you look at some of the data, I think Deloitte did a study on this one. A citizen's digital experience with government is a very strong predictor of the trust that they have in government. And so how do you earn that trust? Make it easy for citizens to accomplish what they need to accomplish, promote transparency within the system, and ultimately make them feel as though their data is secure. That all starts with a strong identity foundation. And the last piece of advice is continue to partner with the private sector. Identity and access management is hard. I mean, we've got an entire company working on the problem. Rather than become a SaaS company, I think governments should focus on the value that they provide to their citizens, which is using the empathy that they have towards their, their constituents to stand up programs and initiatives that they will benefit from in the most effective manner. Technology is absolutely an enabler of that, but they don't need to be the ones building that technology from scratch. So those would be my three key pieces of advice. Uh, first and foremost, think through the total cost of ownership. Secondly, think about how identity can uh, be the foundation of trust. And last but not least, continue to build bridges with the private sector. So let's let's pull pull this all together here. You know, from the growth of identity and access management in state and local government to the to the boost that this additional funding that we've talked about is going to bring. I mean, how do you see this all fitting together with all the other priorities on the NACIO list, but also just the all the other uh, issues <laughs> that state CIOs have on their plates? Uh, you know, how do you see all this coming together, and, and what does it mean for the services that agencies can provide? So bringing it all together, what I'd say is coming back to what I mentioned earlier in this podcast is. I honestly don't think there is a better time to be working in public sector. And the reason I say that is we've never had such a focused, urgent, and resourced sandbox for our public sector officials to operate in that can ultimately deliver value to constituents. I think, you know, you touched on it briefly in your question, being a state CIO is hard. Right now, we have the resources to make it a little less difficult. And what I'm really excited about is if we look at the priorities from NACIO, it's very clear, right? At the heart of it is continue to invest into digital government. All of the other priorities around technology modernization, cloud services, and cybersecurity, they all go hand in hand with that ultimate goal. And of course, identity plays its role in that picture. It's the front door to everything we do. Everything governments do today has an element of identity woven into it. We've spoken at length about citizens accessing services digitally, but it also includes government employees working from home, accessing key resources to do their jobs effectively. It also includes collaboration between different state and local governments. And it also includes supporting relationships between governments and other businesses that they work with. It's such a pervasive uh, problem that we need to tackle. So I'll wrap this up by saying one thing. One way that we're able to build a strong democracy is to have more involvement with citizens. 
The beauty is that digital citizen services increase the threshold in which constituents can actually participate in government. And so as we look to deploy more cloud services and modernize our infrastructure, how do we make sure the right people have access to the right resources at the right time in a seamless yet secure way? Governments have this responsibility to serve and protect. And I think serving and protecting the identity of their citizens is imperative when it comes to building trust in our online interactions, our institutions, and our democracy. Great highlights, Sal. Thank you so much for the time. Thanks so much for having me. This was a, a genuine pleasure. Salman Letta, a product marketing manager at Auth0, now part of Okta. You can read more about identity and access management on statescoop.com. The Priorities Podcast is available at prioritiespodcast.com as well as on all the podcast platforms. This show is a product of Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. Emily Bamforth, Benjamin Freed, Ryan Johnston, and Colin Wood helped put this show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. Until next week, I'm your host, Jake Williams. Thanks for listening.